open your Bibles, if you'd please turn to Matthew 21. Earlier uh, in our series in Matthew, we've been walking through the Gospel of Matthew, I just wanted to highlight a passage. I'm going to read a few passages just to sort of ask a question and prepare our heart for this morning's text. Matthew 12, 50. For whoever does the will of my Father in heaven is my brother, sister, and mother. Whoever does the will of my Father in heaven is my brother, sister, and mother. Bringing in then uh, the Gospel of John. Very truly, I tell you, whoever hears my word and believes him who sent me has eternal life and will not be judged, but has crossed over from death to life. Whoever hears my word and believes will have eternal life. John 6.35, I am the bread of life. Whoever comes to me will never go hungry, and whoever believes in me will never grow, never be thirsty. And John 6.40, for my Father's will is that everyone who looks to the Son and believes in him shall have eternal life. And I will raise them up at the last day. Whoever believes in me, in John 7, as Scripture has said, rivers of living water will flow from within them. Whoever believes in me, rivers of living water will flow from you. I told you, you would die in your sins. If you do not believe that I am he, you will indeed die in your sins. Jesus said to her, I am the resurrection and the life, and whoever believes in me will live even though they die. And whoever lives by believing in me will never die. Do you believe this? Let's pray. God, we come to you knowing that believing in your Son gives us life. Not just any life, but eternal life, a life with you and your kingdom, a life of forgiveness and hope and encouragement. And so God, today we have a simple prayer, but it's a big ask. Lord, would you help us in our belief? Would you help us in our unbelief? Would you help us to be encouraged today to know that our life is in you? God, there's so many things that weigh heavy on our heart. Sins that have easily entangled us. Lord, things that have tripped us up in our faith and our walk with you. Lord, we look around us and we see a world that so desperately needs you. And we look within ourselves and we see a heart and a life and a soul that so desperately needs you as well. So we ask God today, simple but important prayer. Will you grow our faith? Will you help us to see our need for you, that we would walk with you anew today with encouragement and strength to know that you are Lord and King. You gave your life for us. We love you and praise you. It's in Jesus' name. Amen. Uh, I have uh, just a question that's been sort of uh, stewing in my heart uh, as I think about this text in our sermon today, and the question is, is the church inclusive or is it exclusive? 
Is it inclusive in that it welcomes all people, or is there some exclusivity about it? And that's a sort of an important question, because I think that the answer is sort of uh, both and, you know, that there is this answer to, uh, there is this sort of answer to our question of, is it inclusive? Is it welcoming to everyone? And I think that our answer would, of course, be, well, yes, the church is called to be welcoming to everyone, but there is also an exclusivity to it, and that is, is that to belong, to really belong, there are some exclusive things to it, namely, who you say Jesus to be. Our answer is an exclusive answer. We believe Jesus is the only way to a life with God. There is no other way. It's only through Jesus. That's the message of the Bible. Jesus is the Son of God. Jesus died on the cross. Jesus rose from the dead. Jesus is king. It's Jesus' kingdom. We believe these things. We affirm these things. And when, uh, if, if you reject those things, then you really don't belong. But the question is, is does someone who doesn't believe those things, can they be included? And so it's this wrestling match of inclusivity, welcoming all, and exclusivity because we believe something that really divides us with the rest of the world. And it's this ongoing tension of who is in and who is out. Who belongs and who doesn't. And we would say to ourselves, we want everyone to belong. But this sort of natural tension that happens within our own lives, with our own lives together, with our own sort of cliques and relationships and personalities and, and attitudes and rituals and routines and customs and all of those things that sort of just put up these barriers that says, well, who really gets to belong to our church family? Who gets to belong to any church family? How do you come and belong? And Jesus addresses a people who have put up barriers they are Jewish leaders who have made a decision about who is in and who is not. They made a decision about who gets to belong in the family of God and who gets to be pushed away. And in our text this morning, Jesus is going to sort of uncover their hearts and expose them for the sort of frauds that they are and what they have done to reject God and push him away. Jesus, he comes into Jerusalem, and uh, there are shouts of praise. Hosanna in the highest heaven. Praise God. This, praise Jesus. And he's welcomed with open arms and bowing hearts. And, and then Jesus goes into the temple, and he sort of starts knocking over tables. And it's like, wait a minute, this is more than we bargained for, right? And then Jesus curses the fig tree, and he's, you know, it's like, why is he so mad at the fruit tree, you know? And there's a whole sermon on that. But the point of our text that I'd like for us to hop in on is in Matthew 21, 23. It's a conversation about Jesus' authority. Jesus entered the temple courts, and while he was teaching the chief priests and the elders of the people, they came to him, by what authority are you doing these things, they asked. And who gave you this authority? Jesus is uh, officially stepping on toes, right? It's like as soon as you start turning over, over tables and causing a ruckus in the temple, they are taking notice that Jesus is uh, up here to sort of upset things and turn things over and expose them. And so they are asking, what authority do you have to come and do this? 
And so they are feeling threatened, they are feeling jealous, they are feeling angry, they are feeling all sorts of things when, you know, someone moves something in your life. I don't know how you all react when things are moved and you can't find where it is. Well, you know, imagine it in that scenario, only it's the temple of God where you have everything in order and you are doing well for yourself. So if you like things being tossed and turned over in your life, you can maybe relate to their question, who gave you this authority? Where does it come from that you get to be here and you get to be the boss? And Jesus replied, I will ask you one question. You can play this game with me. I'll ask you a question. If you answer me, I will tell you by what authority I am doing these things. John's baptism, where did it come from? Was it from heaven or was it human origin? And they discussed it among themselves and they said, well, if we say from heaven, he will ask, then why didn't you believe him? But if we say of human origin, we are afraid of the people for they all hold that John was a prophet. And so we have, uh, we have Jesus creating a bit of a situation for the Jewish leaders and they realize that they are in the midst of a trap and they don't have an answer. And so they say... We don't know. We don't know. So they answered Jesus, we don't know. Then he said, well, neither will I tell you by what authority I am doing these things. And it's in this context, this context of authority. What sort of Jesus, uh, authority does Jesus have? We've been tracking this along all throughout the gospel and realizing that Jesus has this authority to forgive sins. Jesus has the authority to heal and raise the dead. Jesus has the authority to proclaim and announce the year of God's favor. And so all of this is sort of playing out in front of us that Jesus has authority over the skies. He calms the storm. He calms the waters. Jesus has authority. It's divine authority. And he has the authority to go into God's temple and turn tables over. And so they're asking, where does this authority come from? And Jesus then speaks towards their hearts. And he tells two parable stories. The first is the parable of the two sons. What do you think? There was a man who had two sons. He went to them first and said, Son, go and work today in the vineyard. I will not, he answered. But later he changed his mind. And he went. Then the father went to the other son and he said to the, the same thing. And he answered, I will, sir. But he did not go. Which of the two did what the father wanted? Well, the guys are playing along now. Jesus is telling stories, and they feel very confident. And they say, well, the first, the first son, even though he said one thing, he said no, but then he responded with a yes, and he did the father's will. Well, well, the first one, Jesus, we feel good, and you know, we lock in our answer. They didn't phone a friend. They didn't do a 50-50 split. They just locked it in, and Jesus says, ding, 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 and Regis said, you're a millionaire, right? You guys got it. That's a real dated reference. There was this really great show. Uh, never mind. Jesus said to them, truly, I tell you, the tax collectors and the prostitutes are entering the kingdom of God ahead of you. For John came to you to show you the way of righteousness, and you did not believe him. But the tax collectors and the prostitutes did. And even after you saw this, you did not repent 
And if you were to underline a word, I would say, you did not repent, underline, and believe him. Why did Jesus come? More importantly, why did, you, uh, why did Jordan start his sermon out with all of the conversations about believing in Jesus? Because we understand that believing in Jesus brings life, right? Amen to that, right? That Jesus, believing in him, brings life. Why did Jesus come? So that we would believe and have life in him. And Jesus is coming right out of the gate and saying, here's the issue. Here's what's going on in your heart. You've been worried about all of this authority, all of this posturing, all of this sort of setup game when you have failed to see what is right in front of you. So Jesus exposes their hearts and he says to them, listen, I am walking right in front of you and you are concerned about what authority is happening when really you should be concerned about what God is doing with this authority. To restore sight to the blind, to heal the sick, to raise the dead, to forgive sins, to restore the kingdom of God, to bring it into fruition, to bring it before them. They should be responding to Jesus in repentance and belief, and they are worried about who moved the tables. So Jesus exposes their hearts and he says, he says, guys, I want you to hear this. I want you to hear this. The tax collectors and the prostitutes are getting in ahead of you. That's quite the message, really. We've read it a few times, and so it's kind of like, oh, yeah, Jesus talked about the prostitutes, the tax collectors, yeah, 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 and we move on. Jesus is saying something so radically out of the ordinary when he says that the people that are most outsiders are now the insiders because they understand who Jesus is. They are on the outside thinking they're insiders and they got all of their little house in order and they feel really good about themselves and they say, man, we're close to God because we have all of this religion set up. We have a very good situation for ourselves. And Jesus says, you're not seeing it. You're not seeing who's right in front of you. You're worried about all of this when right in front of you is forgiveness of sins and new life. Right in front of you is the Son of God. And there's people who have been outside of this all of their lives who are seeing it and responding and repenting and believing and this can be yours too. So who's the one that listened to the Father? The one that who said yes and then didn't do it, or the one who said no, but then responded to the Father's will. And friends, I feel like I can play both sons at the same time in any sort of given day. But I want for this to be a message of grace, because I think that this is a message of grace. We can spend a lot of time harping on the Jewish believers, but we can also start celebrating who gets to be in on the kingdom of God. Because it's sinners. It's sinners who respond and believe in Jesus. That's the message. And we can spend a lot of time dwelling on, well, the Jewish leaders and their problems and all those things, that the scenarios that they create, but really what needs to be celebrated is that lost people get to be saved because of Jesus. And that means you. And that means me. And to double down on the story and the message, Jesus tells another story. And he says, listen to another parable. There was a landowner 
who planted a vineyard. He put a wall around it, dug a wine press in it, and built a watchtower. Then he rented the vineyard to some farmers, and he moved to another place. When the harvest time approached, he sent his servants to the tenants to collect his fruit. The tenants seized his servants. They beat one, killed another, and stoned a third. You know, you'd invite Jesus over for story time with the kids, right? Like, good grief. Then he sent other servants to them more than the first time, and the tenants treated them the same way. Last of all, he sent his son to them. They will respect my son, he said. But when the tenants saw the son, they said to each other, this is the heir, come, let's kill him and take his inheritance. So they took him and they threw him out of the vineyard and they killed him. Therefore, when the owner of the vineyard comes, what will he do to those tenants? And they ask a question. He asks a question, and they give like this sort of, you know, no clue what Jesus is doing and what the setup is. They just sort of answer. Well, he, he will bring those wretches to a wretched end. They will get what they deserve. And they replied, and he will rent the vineyard of the tenants who will give him a share of the crop at harvest time. Jesus said, have you never read in the scriptures the stone the builders rejected has become the cornerstone? The Lord has done this, and it is marvelous in our eyes. Therefore, I tell you that the kingdom of God will be taken away from you and given to a people who will produce its fruit. Anyone who falls on this stone will be broken to pieces, and anyone on whom it falls will be crushed. And here's what happens. When the chief priests and the Pharisees heard Jesus' parables, they knew that he was talking about them. They looked for a way to arrest him, but they were afraid of the crowd because the people held that he was a prophet. They knew that he was talking about them. Jesus pulled back the curtains on the charade and he exposed their heart. And slowly, I hope that they realized just what they were up to, but no, they turned towards anger and then rejection, and they're trying to kill Jesus. And all this while, Jesus is holding out that if you would believe, there is life. Jesus talks about Israel, and he's talking about the prophets and those that were coming, that they would return. And it's always been this message. The prophet's message has always been what? Repent, turn to God, and believe. Well, here is another prophet. Here is the Son of God himself, the very Son of this vineyard. And he says to him, would you repent and believe? And they refuse. I have a hard time uh, reading this story, this text, because um, I realize that I've been a uh, religious leader for 15 years. And I think, man, this doesn't really bode well for religious leaders. It's a little bit of a joke, but it's a half-serious one, too. How do, I, how do I really listen to God? Do I seek him in his heart? Do I repent and believe? Do I walk with him in my life? And only I can answer that for myself with honest and sin sincerity. Merely asking the question can put up the mirage that the answer to that question is always yes. 
but it was obvious with the religious leaders the answer wasn't always yes for them. The kingdom will be taken away from you and will be given to the people who produce its fruit. The people who produce the fruit of the kingdom are those who believe that Jesus is the Son of God. It comes back to where I started with this text. What do you believe about Jesus? And I want to give you so much grace today that that's enough. That God works with that. God works with your belief in Jesus Christ. When we wake up in the day and we say, I believe Jesus to be king, God works with that. He desires that. He says, come on in. You are a part of my family. Those who believe and do the will of God, you become a part of the family of God. What is God's will? But that you would believe and have life in Jesus' name. Jesus is asking that they would believe. And he tells these stories to wake up the insiders who don't realize that they're outsiders. And to let the outsiders know that they're now insiders. And that what brought them inside is that they believe Jesus to be the Son of God. And so it's hope for today to say to each and every one of us that at one time we were outsiders and now we belong in the life of God, in his family, in the hope of the kingdom because we believe Jesus is the Christ. But then it's also a warning. It's a warning that in all of our props and all of our things that we do and all of the routines and all of the customs and all of the things that we grow comfortable with, that we do not get the mindset that we are the insiders, much to the shame and damnation of those who are outside. Do you hear me? That we can become the religious leaders who want to keep everything as is and say, this is how you have a life with God. He exposes their hearts and he says, guys, it's not about all of these things that you've been doing. It's about seeing what's right in front of you. It's about seeing Jesus as the Son. And so I don't have a hundred different applications for you this morning. I don't have much to offer you other than this. Will you believe? Will you believe that Jesus is the Son of God? And will you let that be enough? Is the church inclusive or exclusive? Are we welcoming or excluding? And friends, sometimes we can get this out of balance. But it starts with our hearts. It starts with Jesus pulling back the curtains on our own lives and saying, well, what son are you? Are you saying one thing and doing another, or are you responding to Jesus, responding to who he is? Will you believe that Jesus is the Son of God, and will you let that be enough? Let's pray. God, we love you so much. Thank you for exposing uh, in us our own sort of frailty, and Lord, of trying to building up systems and procedures and customs and routines, Lord, to how we do life. Realizing, God, that we can find a lot of identity in the things that we do. 
and forget who gives us our true identity. And so pull back the curtain on our heart. And for some of us, Lord, soften our hearts today that we would know that we have life because we believe in Jesus. That we have eternal life because Jesus is king and he conquered sin and he conquered death and that's enough. Just as it's enough, Lord, just thinking, Lord, about how we can feel like people don't belong. Lord, it's so simple to belong. It's to believe. And Lord, you sort out all of those things on the exterior and you change us from the inside out.